All right. It is Monday, January 22nd. We've got all the rumors and all the recent signings in Major League Baseball. So let's hit the intro music and get right into this. Hello and welcome to this edition of Side Retired. It's Dylan Campione, Nico Fernandez, and Henry Kalani as always. And again, the baseball hot stove remains cold as ice. As not a lot of signings. We did have Josh Hader, but that's about it. We've got a Hall of Fame announcement in a couple of days, but that's about it. Nothing on the horizon and nothing in the past. But we're here to talk baseball, so how are we doing? Can't complain, bro. Getting ready to talk baseball. Nice little weekly thing. Feel like nothing's gonna happen until like February, like when pitchers and catchers report, but still on the grind, baby. Well, the good news on the podcast is that even though nothing's happening in baseball, we already have our full week planned out. So we can tell it to you. Tomorrow we're gonna be joined by Kansas City Royals prospect Marlon Willis talking about his career journey. Wednesday, we'll have a Hall of Fame breakdown for you and tell you all about the people that do and don't get elected to the Hall of Fame. Thursday, we'll be firing another top 10 list at you guys, sideretiredpod at gmail.com if you want to send your top 10 DHs and your hot takes to be featured in an episode. And then we've got another great interview on Friday to be determined who the guest is, but we have a couple in line, so we'll see what happens. But let's talk about the one move that did happen in Major League Baseball this last week. Josh Hader, Houston Astros. Super bullpen has been assembled, Henry. Yeah, I was... It made a little too much sense, and I was disappointed when I saw the things were heating up because I feel like once the Astros start heating up conversations with the guy, they usually get them. Um, it's a great deal for the Astros. They, I wouldn't say that they needed another bullpen piece, but you always need like as many bullpen pieces as you can get, right? Um, yep. Haters great. There's and there's not really much to say. I feel like they. Mm. Some people are calling it an overpay. I don't really see how it is. He's still 29. Like. For five years of Josh Hader, this is sort of probably the last big contract that I'll get. Um, so I think it's a great deal for the Astros. They get a guy, especially as Presley ages. Um, I could see a world where Abreu ends up being their closer and Hader moves to a set of man role or they split the position. Um, so no, great for Hader. Got his bag. Um, and the Astros got their third guy that creates a real three-headed monster from seventh, eighth, and ninth. Nico. Yeah, everything he said is completely true. I mean, Hater, best lefty reliever in the league, um, dominant when at times. I think that we're kind of jaded by like that small first stretch that he had when he got traded to the Padres. But the guy's elite. I mean, when you're talking about top closers in the MOB, he's up there, minimum top three. Again, they have a lockdown guy for again five years. They're getting 29 through 32, they're getting four, three years of his prime. And then they're going to start maybe getting the decline as he gets to 33 and 34. But again, he doesn't do anything that would make me think that he's just going to like fall off a cliff or anything. So they're going to have a stud for these next five years. And again, I think that the value of him and why he's worth that contract is the simple thing of, you know, you're getting an elite guy every single year, which again, we've seen some guys like Edwin Diaz, like we all know the ceiling on Edwin Diaz, but we've also seen years that he's been, tragic yeah but the josh hater beside again you just take away that trade deadline move every single year that he's played full season with a team he's been absolutely dominant so again it's great signing 
I'm actually happy you didn't go with the Rangers for the simple reason of I had a New Year's prediction that is now still alive. So, so want to see if that one comes true. <laughs> I like, and I think the interesting thing with this move is what happens with Ryan Presley. Apparently, they've been in contact with him throughout this whole situation, and Presley said, just make the team better. I'll pitch when you want me to pitch. And I think that's the interesting thing. The Astros rotation, and again, if you haven't listened to our recent interview with Brett Chancey, he's arguably the most knowledgeable Astros fan out there, and he came on, I believe it was around a week or two ago, talking all things Astros. McCullers is out. Uh, Luis Garcia is out. Verlander is now 42. 243. Naris is out. Naris is a free agent. Phil Maton's a free agent. Ryan Stanek is a free agent. So this rotation and this pitching staff is a little bit in flux. So I think by adding Hader, you've now basically secured at least three innings a day with Brian Abreu, Ryan Presley, and Josh Hader. And your starting rotation is still solid. Verlander is a good pitcher. Framber Valdez, if he's a Houston Astro, is a solid pitcher. Christian Javier should figure it out. Hunter Brown looks really solid. Forrest Whitley's hanging out with Trevor Bauer and Eric Simmons looking really good in his bullpens hitting 98, 99 miles an hour. It's a good team. And obviously the offense is still built around the core of Jordan, Altuve, Tucker, Bregman. We'll see. Jeremy Pena. Are they the favorites? Or is it the Rangers division? Or is this the Yankees? Well, favorites for what? For the AL or the AL West? Both. Both. I would say they're still the favorites for the AL West, um, even though they did get beaten. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm really going to have to see a collapse before I don't think that a team who's been run as efficiently and well as the Astros for the past almost a decade, um, I'm going to have to see like a complete collapse of their core before I, I mean, see that they're not the favorites yeah. for the AL West. I don't know that they're the favorites for the AL just because I think it's just a better better idea to take the field. We have a couple more contenders at this point. Um, I'm not going to say that it's the Yankees because, frankly, I, I would be I would be pleasantly surprised if the Yankees make the AL, ALCS. So I won't say that they're the favorites for the AL, but I think that they are the favorites for the AL West. I mean, I still would probably take the Rangers, but I think – to be honest, I don't think in terms of favorites for AOS, this move really does anything. I think looking at it from 48 hours ago, if you looked at the situation, you'd be like, it's probably a toss-up between the Rangers and the Astros. And I think with Hayter, you look at it and you're like, it's probably still a toss-up with the Rangers and Astros as favorites. I think that, yes, Hayter is going to help this team a lot. But in terms of how I see the AOS, um, if I had to pick right now, I'd probably still pick the Rangers. I also had, I don't think the Astros are going to make the playoffs, but in terms of favorites, I definitely would lean towards the Rangers because I just trust everything that they did in the postseason last year and for the first half of the year. And they're the exact same. So because of that, like, I don't see why we, they can't exactly replicate what they did. I mean, we're talking about Evan Carter is going to have a whole year under the belt. Adoles Garcia is Adoles Garcia. Corey Seager is the best shortstop in the, in the league. On Nathaniel Lowe has shown in that first half, especially when the Rangers were doing extremely well, that he can hit like any first baseman in the American League. Marcus Simeon's a dog. The rotation, even though it's hurt, you still have guys like Valdi, John Gray, and you know you have Jack Leiter and Kumar Rocker that can come up. I still think that if as long as they make maybe one pool pen addition, and maybe that is like I said, Kumar, I think that they're still going to be in the driver's seat. So speaking of the AL West. What's happening with the Angels? 
I think we all know they're taking a step back, losing Otani and the trout, yes. rumors, the trout rumors will never go away. And then they just spent $30 million on a setup man who was arguably the second best reliever out there in Robert Stevenson. And there were teams like the Rangers, like the Yankees, like the Mets, like the Red Sox that could use him and are apparently aspiring to make the playoffs. So are the Angels still going for it? Question? No. No. No, they suck. Well, okay. Let me rephrase team. that then. Do the Angels think they're going for it? Because we might, from the outside, say this team does not have a route to the playoffs. But do the Angels internally, whether it's Perry Manasian or Artie Moreno, are they building this team to win in twenty twenty four? It's it's weird because in a vacuum, like if I told you that there's a team that has the greatest player of our generation, who I think everyone would agree that if when he's healthy, if he's healthy for 150 games this year, he's going to be arguably the best player in baseball. Yeah. And you have a guy who broke your on-base uh, streak in 30 games when he came up. Then you have a shortstop who showed flashes of being good. You seem to have fixed a number one overall pick in Mickey Moniak. Like, Logan O'Hoppy, your number one guy, seems to have started – to fit in and look 2019 legend Anthony Rendon (laughs) again Anthony Rendon if I told you that they had Anthony Rendon you'd be like again like the from an angel's perspective you can trick yourself into thinking that this could be a playoff team but again you have the typical problems they're the angels number one number two you need basically every single thing to go right for you to even have a chance well you're in the AL West there's there's one problem to everything you've said so far. And I'll repeat the names you've mentioned. Ohapi, Moniac, Trout, Rendon, Neto, Shanuel. You haven't named a single pitcher. And that's where we get to play a fun yeah. trivia game. Henry, Nico. Name the Angels projected starting rotation right now. Tyler Anderson. Yes. <laughs> it's one. Reed Detmers, Pablo Sandoval. That's two um, and three. What's his what's his name? Uh the Ben Joyce. Or is no. he know he's a close guy? Yeah. Um, Griffin Canning. Yes, that's their four. And then their five that actually just signed a couple days ago. That we said we would be really excited about him if he wasn't signed by the Angels. Former Wait. Cleveland, former Cleveland Indian. Oh, Zach Plesak. Zach Plesak. Yeah. So that rotation is Patrick Sandoval, Detmers, Griffin Playoff Canning, rotation. Tyler Anderson, and Zach Plesak. That's a combined maybe 70 starts, 80 starts. They're never healthy. And when they are healthy, besides Sandoval, because he's shown flashes of being a very solid big leaguer. So and we, Anderson had two years with the with the Dodgers. Like five years ago. But yeah. Um, and Plesak has flash. So in an ideal world, sure, that rotation could be solid. But there is no ace. There is no Otani. Blake Snell? Question mark? If they're I mean, going for it, if, if if they got Blake Snell, I'd still think they're finishing fourth in the AL West. I would agree with you. Like <laughs> the thing is, they're the reason they think they. I do think that they think that they can make the playoffs because I think that they're like if every single thing that we do goes right, literally every single one, we can make the playoffs with a wild card spot. Number one. Again, you still have to deal with – we haven't even talked about Seattle in this AOS. I mean, 
if there's a team that you could pick to break out to surprise everyone, it'd be them. I mean, they have Julio could have an MVP, MVP year this year. Mm-hmm. And that's the third best team in the LS. We have that you still have the Houston. The only team that you can say at your best, at the Angels' best, they can be consistently is the minor league A's. <laughs> that's literally the only team. But again, and they, they beat them. Exactly. And, but again, they? they could. Can they beat Brent? Proud's healthy, they could, yeah. Well, I they, don't know. The, the A's have the power of the Coliseum this year in their final season. No. Before oh, before no. they've had rumors also that they're going to move to like Sacramento for 2025 through 2027. Stop it. <laughs> that's, a, that's a story for a whole another day. But I think the weird thing, and you just mentioned them, and since we didn't know what to talk about on this episode anyway, this can be an AL West little preview. Seattle is interesting. J-Rod's really good. And you can go back to our center fielder episode. The lineup's not good. I know we made fun of the trade a couple of days ago, especially David. Mitch Hanniger is expected to hit fifth in this lineup. Okay, I'm not worried about their pitching at all. Right, I, like, I think this, I, their pitching is really solid. Um, Castillo, no, I think Gilbert, Kirby Miller, Wu. Yep. Yeah, that's like that's solid. Um, yeah, no, their lineup isn't isn't great, but. I feel like, yeah, they need one more piece, right? Because this this team is so streaky, especially at the plate, right? There would be times where they would win like 20 of like 23 games because their guys got on a hot streak, and then you'd go a month without hearing anything from the Mariners because they were playing like 350 ball. And like, and it was, they just fell off the face of the earth. So they need, they need an air of consistency. I mean, David seems to think that Mitch Hanniger coming home will fix the fact that he was horrible. Um, I don't know that it will, right? I think like time is the time is the ultimate enemy of the major league baseball player. So I don't know that Mitch Hanniger is going to come back to 2021 form just because he came back. So I'm, I would be, I would be cautious if I'm a Mariners fan. I mean, they've made some nice additions. Like I do like the Mitch Garver signing. I think that he will slide in great there. But again, like we're saying, this lineup is a lot of guys who we've kind of think we've seen their ceiling. Like yeah. JP Crawford, I, is this what JP Crawford is? Respectfully, like, JP Crawford is not doing that what he exactly. did last season. From exactly, like, do we really think if JP Crawford goes and replicates it? Okay, but he's definitely not going over what he did. That's his career year. I feel like maybe he's able to get back to that, and even if he does, that's it. Ty France, again, it seems like once every year he'll have a month where we're like, whoa, Ty France. And then it's like, oh, Ty France. <laughs> like he's very, he he was kind of the for the last three years, he's just had a month of dominance and kind of like fallen off. Um, Cal Raleigh, I mean, Cal Raleigh kind of know where you're gonna get with him. He's gonna be a good defensive catcher, hit a lot of bombs, low average. It's like, where do you see the guy that's going behind Julio Rodriguez? It's is it J.P. Crawford, I don't think J.P. Crawford is enough. When we're talking about lineups in this league that have guys like, again, Adolis Garcia, Corey Seager, Kyle Tucker, Jose Altuve, Jordan Alvarez. Like, it can't be those lineups, the ones that you're going against. And then you have Julio Rodriguez and your next guy is J.P. Crawford. It's just not the same in the AL West. If we're talking about another league, be different. Their route as of now their route's very simple. You have to have every single win. You're going to win because they only scored two runs and you yep. scored 
and you scored three. It's that twenty-four Marlins, which again, like the reason I'm I like them is because look at their you look at their rotation. That's not yeah, that's not out of this world. I mean, Julio, I, I mean Luis Castillo. You know what he can be dominant. Logan Gilbert, very good. Bryce Miller, very good. Woo, very good. Emerson Hancock's in the farm system. Very good. Looks like he's going to be a stud. You have the guys to make that happen, which is why I still have some faith in them and definitely for like a wild card spot. But it's just where are you getting your offense from on this team? Because you can't be in the AL West and your number two guy be J.P. Crawford, which is why the perfect guy who makes sense, just no one wants to be caught looking stupid, which is the problem with owners, the GMs. They don't want to look stupid. The perfect guy for this team is Cody Bellinger. I okay. I'm gonna push back on that idea. I I like oh. it in a vacuum, and I liked the Mitch uh, the Mitch Garver deal in a vacuum as well. But the problem with getting Mitch Garver is it locked them in at DH. I think Cal Raleigh is gonna start every day. He's gonna be their catcher. Garver now has to be a DH, which means they can't sign a Solaire. They can't sign a JD Martinez. They can't sign Reese Hoskins because all Solaire's not guys... the kind of hitter that they need right now, though. But I think the problem with Bellinger is their outfield's already kind of locked in. They just no, made it's a not. Mitch Hanniger with who? With who? Genuinely with who? Well, they just made a big trade. They traded two of their top prospects to the Rays for Luke Rayleigh. So I think he's starting every day. If we like it or not, they've seen respectfully. To it. If you want, like, if you, if I Cody think Bellinger they, falls into your lap, Luke Rayleigh can go sit on the bench. He's not going to fall in there. I think the guy that fits them better, as much as I wanted him on the Mets. If you go sign Justin Turner and you go sign Tim Anderson right now to one year contracts, because that does right not now, make me feel any better about their consistency. The thing, like, but we get we start getting back to this thing on look, love Justin Turner. What he did for the Red Sox is phenomenal. And I do think Tim Anderson has more in the tank. I don't think he's gonna fall off. I was actually I really wanted before the Von Grissom trade, I wanted the Red Sox to sign him because I thought that he would work in, in Boston. Again, we're talking about Julio, we go back to the same question. Julio Rodriguez and your second best guys, Justin Turner. I think then it becomes more of a lineup that you're just one through nine are going to put up competitive at bats because then you go JP into J Rod into Garver into France into Raleigh into Turner into Anderson into Raleigh. And now you've got a one through nine that actually you put up competitive at bats versus right now six through nine is arguably a black hole of Hanniger, Urias, Raleigh. Dylan Moore, second base, or Josh Ross. Like the problem with yeah. that is in again, like you're saying with the thing in a vacuum. Complete. This team almost make the playoffs because of their route was we have Julio Rodriguez carry us, have an MVP like stretch, and then pitch. Sounds the, like Mike Trout ten years ago. Yeah, yeah great, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, like they. I want to like this team. <laughs> I want to. And I think if they get that's I think Bellinger works because I think that again, I understand that they, they're locked up, but Luke Rayleigh and Mitch Hanniger <laughs> suck, to put it kindly. Like again, they have yeah, maybe they get a competitive one through nine, but the problem is is that they're in the AL West because a competitive every team has a competitive one through nine at the top. And the only difference is they have three Julio Rodriguez offensive players, type players, and you have one. Is the big problem. The big problem is also could you see a team like the Seattle Mariners go out and sign a free agent like Cody Bellinger when they haven't signed a big free agent since Robinson Cano 12 years ago? I mean, now's the time, bro. 
<laughs> Mitch Haniger hit 209 last year in 61 games. That yeah. guy's that guy's ass. <laughs> yeah, but Mitch Haniger is... and and I think look, we talk about it. I think it gets done a lot in in baseball. I mean, more in football when you're talking about windows and like rookie contracts. If you think Julio is what he is, which I think we all do, yeah, his con you need to sign people now because his contract's only going to get more expensive. If you think again, I think Julio he just needs what another silver slugger and he already gets a bonus. Mm-hmm. So his game, his contract go up. I think if he makes a couple more, like two more All Star games, which again, does anyone think he's not making two more in the next three years? Going to go up again. Wins an MVP, you're already it's already getting to like that max value. Your window, this was a great structure contract for both players where you're like, Julio, if you ball out, you're going to get paid. And at the same time, you have this window where you he's still on the cheap because he hasn't hit any of those things yet, which I think we all think he eventually will. Win now. Sign Be- Again, sign Bellinger to, to a contract. Have him in that window. And look, if, if Julio starts to get expensive, you can trade Bellinger. You can do other things. But right now, your window is when your star player is on the cheap. He's only going to get more expensive in the course of like these next 10 years. My problem is I'm just starting to see this formulate in my head that this just seems like the Angels from a decade ago. And all of a sudden, Ballinger signs and he's your Rendon. And now you're the 75-win Angels and you don't have this guy named Shohei Otani. Yeah, after, after looking at it, I hate this team. This team is poorly, <laughs> this team is poorly constructed. Again, like they, they do have the pitching, which is the difference between the Angels and this Mariners team is that the Mariners do have five competent starters because i think if we go toe-to-toe what we just mentioned is the one through five on the angels versus the one through five on the mariners blows them out completely but they offensively the in the west but offensively the angels lineup with all its flaws blows the mariners out of the water even with bellinger the thing is that again i think we crap on the angels because what they did failed but at least they did something like yeah at least because the thing is I hate at the end of the day, they're in above 500 grade. That's what the Rockies wanted to want to play by. So we'll cut them out for 20. So the other 29 teams that have an actual goal, mm-hmm. 28 of them don't complete their goal, which is they win a world series. So yeah. if you signed Julio Rodriguez to be, and your goal was, yeah, we're going to solidify being a good team. Then you're right. You shouldn't do anything. But if the reason you signed Julio because you're like, we have a stud, and we think that with this stud, we can build a championship team. You have to take risk and force to be wrong. Look, the problem with the Angels was that they couldn't surround Mike Trout with talent. It wasn't that they didn't try. At least they tried. You can't not try in this next decade, not make a big swing and think that Julio is going to be the center and you're not going to build anything around him. Baseball's too, baseball isn't star-driven enough for that to be the case ever. All right, so to wrap up our ALS conversation, we will go with the reality and then the hypothetical question. Reality, rank the teams one through five on how they're going to finish. Henry. Astros, Rangers, Mariners, um, A's, Angels. (laughs) Nico. Rangers, Mariners. Okay. (laughs) Astros, Angels, A's. All right, I'll go Astros. Can't beat the King yet. Rangers, Angels, A's, Mariners. 
What? I don't like this. Um, the more I look at this team, the it's more the, I think- it's the Oakland A's. It's the Oakland A's. I said that as a joke. I said that as a joke, and it's the Angels. I think okay. Here's my last comment on this division. I think it's a more likely chance that Logan Gilbert is traded at the deadline than the Mariners make the playoffs. I think they could be in the playoff and still trade Logan Gilbert. Well, then we're just talking about a confused Jerry Depoto wants to <laughs> trade to trade. But the last question. In the hypothetical world, Angels sign Snell, Mariners sign Ballinger. Who's a better team? No other changes. Conclude their off seasons with those two. Mariners. Am I Mariners. predicting? Am I predicting or just like objectively? Either, either way, either roster, way, yeah. it's the Mariners. I'd say Mariners, but I think if the if the Angels sign Snell, their ceilings higher. Okay, I like that. And that concludes the last conversation we'll have on the AL West until a long time from now when they're relevant again. But the last topic on today's episode, this is technically the last episode that we're recording because as we already hinted to, we've recorded with Marlon that'll get released tomorrow morning. But this is our last episode before the Baseball Hall of Fame of 2024 is revealed. As of right now, there is one lock. Adrian Beltre is polling at 99%. I don't mean to plug a previous episode. Shut up, Bill Blue. If you want to know why he's at 99 and not at 100, just ask our friend Bill Baloo. He's got all the interesting answers for you. Three other guys are, or four, because I'll throw Gary Sheffield in there as well, are on this bubble. They're in between 70 and 85% right now. And that's Sheffield at 74, Billy Wagner at 78. Helton at 82 and Joe Mauer at 83%. This is all courtesy of Ryan Thibodeau on Twitter. He does a great job every year of tracking all the ballots. Would love to have Ryan on the show at some point to discuss his process. He said that there's been roughly 50% of all the voters have been revealed. That is with 191 of the roughly 380 ballots that will get revealed. Those are the totals right now. For people who don't know, you need 75% to get elected. Beltre's a lock, but we'll go around the horn. Class of one. Or as many as a class of five Tuesday night. Uh, I got to think too. I, I got to think that Billy Wagner gets in because I, I refuse to believe that there's a Hall of Fame that won't have the greatest lefty reliever not in the Hall of Fame. So I, I have to think that enough Hall of Fame people could look at the ballot and be like, wow. We have this guy that if we're ranking relievers, he's up there and we're just going to not put him in the Hall of Fame. Like, I refuse to believe that that doesn't the case. Again, Beltre's a lock. I would say Billy Wagner gets in. Um, I don't think Jones gets in. So I'll, I'll leave it at two. And Jones, you just mentioned, I'll point out, he's right now also pulling up there. He's at 70% at the time of recording here on Sunday night. I mean, I think it's ridiculous that there's a debate about Billy Wagner, right? Like, we like when we're talking about like honoring greatness, which is literally the whole point. He should be a Hall of Famer by that logic. Um, would I love to see Joe Mauer get in? Absolutely, but I think that, frankly, the Hall of Fame is full of haters. Everybody who votes on it is a hater. Um, go watch some interviews we've done in the past. Um, and yeah, no, I think it'll be I, I think it'll be a class of two, but it should be more. It's tough. Like, do I think all five of these people and the five I'm looping in right now are um, the guys that we mentioned, Beltre, Maurer, Helton, Wagner, and Sheffield are going to get in? I think at least four at some point. 
I think Mauer, if he doesn't get in in year one, when you're putting up numbers this high, you're going to get in by year three, the latest. And Helton and Wagner have been projecting like up by 5% every single year. Last year, I believe they were in the high 60s. So this year, they're going to be somewhere in between that 72 to 77%. Sheffield's tough because it's his last year on the ballot. And usually you do get that boost. And I believe if I have this correctly, last year, Gary Sheffield ended around 57, 60% of the ballots. So that would be a, that would be a solid jump up. Sheffield has never been suspended for steroids. Sheffield never failed a test, but there is rumors and suspicion. I think it, not to the same level as Bonds. And obviously we can tell that Alex Rodriguez we're not even mentioning because he's currently pulling at 40% and Manny Ramirez even lower at 35%. So Sheffield's a little different. They never failed the test, never officially admitted to it. Uh, it's just rumors, just like Jeff Bagwell and Mike Piazza. But Sheffield in his last year, and I don't think he makes it. Usually the public ballots before the election tend to be on the kinder side to players. And that if he's at 75 right now, he'll probably end around 70 has been the usual trend for players dipping um, projected ways. I think the more interesting question will be who doesn't stay on for a year two, partially because here at Side Retired, we're big David Wright fans, and he's currently pulling at 6.9%, we? as well as we, we, we. Mark Burley is also pulling down there at 7%. Francisco Rodriguez is at 6.8%. Tory Hunter is actually off the ballot right now. If things stay the way they are at 4.7, Jose Bautista is at 1.6. He's likely falling off. And shout out to Victor Martinez, Bartolo Colon, and Matt Holiday for collecting one ballot so far. Out of all the mentions that we just did, Burley, K-Rod, Wright, Hunter, Bautista, V-Mark, Colon, Holiday, if you care about the guys that have gotten zero votes like Jose Reyes so far, anyone there that you think is worth saving and looking at for a second year? Or in the case of Torrey Hunter and Mark Burley for another year? Worth saving? I think there's some guys. I think, look, Wright definitely deserves to get saved. I mean, again, when you think of Mets baseball in the 2000s, do you think of David Wright? That kind of, I think, solidifies him to at least stay on the ballot. And then the other guy that I just want to point out is K-Rod. I think that his four years of dominance where he literally broke the single-season saves record, I think should be enough. I'm not saying that he should get in, but I definitely think that there's enough guys who should be like, yeah, this guy deserves to stay on the ballot because at the end of the day, we do talk about how, oh, a guy, you're either a Hall of Famer or you're not. Like, if you, what's the difference between me voting for you in the, on year one and year 10? If I think you're a Hall of Famer now, I should think of 10 years from now. But at the end of the day, that's not how it works. People do tend to not vote for guys and vote for guys based on what year they are. So I think based on what K-Rod is, I think they see that peak and they should vote based on the fact that they think he deserves to stay on the ballot. Henry. Um, I mean, frankly, when you're polling that low, I don't know that you're going to shoot up enough to, to actually like pose a substantial threat. Usually you got to be like anywhere from like 20 to 30% on your first time. Um, frankly, I, like biased, I would love to see Bartolo. Um, just because, like, when we're, talking, when, we're, when we're talking about baseball history, when we're talking about baseball history, Bartolo is a part of that. But no, I mean, not anybody too incredibly significant for me. 
I think the interesting thing to point out, Larry Walker, when he first got on the ballot, received little to no support. I believe he went as low as around 20% in one of his first few years and then shot up. So it has been done before. So that gives hope to a guy like Bobby Abreu, who's currently pulling at around 20%. But again, do I think David Wright's going to make the Hall of Fame? No. But we've at least heard a couple interesting arguments from some guys as to why his case should be studied a little bit further, whether it's that peak, whether it's comparing him to Scott Rowland, who got in last year. I just want him to get to Buster Posey in three years because I think those cases are a lot more similar than people realize, minus the whole three World Series thing, which I'd love. And, and it's also, pretty big part. <laughs> As a Mets fan, I choose to ignore that part. But uh, not even being the best at his position in his state also hurts him. When no, he, was, he, didn't he was playing, I know. I'm just saying, don't make it seem like there's like it's as close as you think. It, it's it's a conversation. I'll put it at that. But yeah, there's so many conversations we can have. Like, is the sky blue? Like <laughs> the other the other fascinating guy on the ballot before we wrap things up. Utley's pulling it around 40, which is interesting. Which means I guess he's on pace to get there someday. Carlos Beltran stagnant around 65% round where he was last year. We'll see what the final totals are on these guys because they are expected to drop a little bit. But to round things up, because you both danced around the question a little bit, you said a number, but you didn't say the players. Tuesday night, when friend of the podcast, Josh Rawich, gets on MLB Network, and he opens up his little tan envelope, and he says, I have in front of me the names of the people elected into the Baseball Hall of Fame this year. Obviously, Jim Leland's already elected, so we're not going to count him. But who's inside the envelope? Is this a prediction or a hope? Let's go prediction. That way we can say we were right if it happens. It's Beltran and Wagner. Okay. It's Beltran and I'm pissed. Ooh. I'm going to say it's Beltran and it's Helton. And I think Wagner comes within 10 votes. I think Joe Maurer's got a decent shot. But again, I have that fear of that people were afraid not to, when Maurer started to gain a lot of public appeal, people who didn't vote for Bauer or for Maurer, wow, Bauer, Paul Fant, that's going to be fun to debate. Um, no, <laughs> what are you talking about? All right, you know what? Just keep going. Yeah, it's going to be a super fun to keep going. Keep going. But uh, no, Joe Maurer, I think, got more votes from the publicly voted people rather than the people that have not revealed their ballot. And I think yeah. he ends up sliding to around 65, 70%, which means he'll get in next year, but year one's going to be tough for him. But yeah, I think Helton holds on. I think Wagner falls short. Sheffield? I don't, Sheffield's interesting. Do you think people are afraid to announce that they voted for him because of the steroid thing? So yes. maybe he goes yes. up? So maybe he goes up a little. No, I think that I think that nobody goes up. The (laughs) only person who I mean, the biggest thing is no one's come out and like basically said that it's okay. Like for example, like when when Ortiz, the comp I would give is Ortiz could for some reason literally Manfred said like, oh. He had no business being on that list. And I think that helped in a lot of people's eyes when the commissioner comes out and say, says that you shouldn't have been on the, on the report kind of helps your case. Um, again, I think, I don't know. I think maybe, I don't think we're getting a real guy who we all, there's significant rumors around taking steroids. I think the only guy who has a chance at right now is 
is a rod i don't think sheffield gets in okay i just did a little research because we want to have everything factually accurate on the program gary sheffield has admitted to taking steroids he said in 2002 in the offseason of 2001 and 2002 Working out with Barry Bond, he used a cream that is oh, considered a steroid. <laughs> but but he says he was unaware that the cream was a steroid. And as soon as he found out in the middle of that offseason, he quit it almost immediately. So he said, yes, I have I mean, used. But no, and I he just He just volunteered and, that up on his own volition? He did. December of 2023, <laughs> there's, like, there's an article from MLB.com that says four reasons Gary belongs in the Hall of Fame, and that is one of them. Now... There's definitely people that say, oh, he said he used it a little bit. Give him an inch, take the mile. But it's an interesting debate because it would be the first guy to openly admit, yes, steroids have been in my body and I'm in the Hall of Fame now. Yeah, I think ob- the- obviously a different level than A-Rod, who's been suspended twice for injecting himself versus taking a cream for a month or two. But I mean, it's still... if. A lot of the voters have a blanket no steroid. It would definitely be a break in their crack of no steroid Hall of Fame. Shoot, someone admitted to steroids is in. Yeah. I have a follow-up question. Who do you think uh, is the first guy who admitted or tested positive that gets in? I don't think anyone gets into the Hall of Fame. Well, again, I'm not going to claim that Jeff Bagwell takes steroids. So, sorry, no, no defamation there. But... A Jeff Bagwell type is going to be my answer in that I think nobody will get elected into the Hall of Fame with steroid ties until someone who's already in admits in like an autobiography that he took. Okay, that's not what I mean. Because no, because then my answer to that is whoever's on the ballot. If A-Rod's still on the ballot when that comes out, then it's going to be A-Rod. If Ryan Braun is on the ballot when that comes out, it's Ryan Ryan Braun's not a Hall of Famer. You know what I if Robinson Cano is yeah. on the ballot 10 years yeah, from no, now and that comes out, it's gonna be Robinson Cano. It's not gonna be Bonds just because he's gotta wait like a weird four-year thing because now he goes on the special ballot. But it's there's gonna be a slip in the crack of someone already in that then they're gonna say, Well, shoot, now let's let them all in. So long-winded beat around the bush answer, but unfortunately that is my answer. Could just said Aaron. I don't think it's because I don't know if it happens soon. It could be like 30 years from now when mm-hmm. someone's about to die and they write a book about their life and they say, screw it, I'll admit it. And I guess this is like where like I even get even more be- where like people who want Barry Bonds in are coming from because obviously none of us saw Barry Bonds, <laughs> but you saw A-Rod on the Yankees and that was just one stretch of his elite career yeah like and i don't think anyone even with the sandwich is like yeah that guy doesn't deserve to be in the hall of fame like obviously his is a little different because his is more he got suspended twice but how do you not see that guy when i saw him for as a yankee and that's not even that's taking away what he did in seattle and texas that guy just screams hall of famer and i think that i i don't see a world where in the next 10 years he's not a hall of famer eventually i think he's the guy who he either he's him so low though he's at thirty five percent right now, dude. That's like you, not even Bonzo's at least pushing sixty sixty five. Couple people are gonna retire and, and is they're gonna add new people. I have to think <laughs> that for some reason or another we're gonna get new voters. Not gonna, <laughs> not gonna wish anything on anyone. 
but I think that I think Barry Bonds got helped a little bit by there being like a new wave starting to be a new wave and he got some traction. I think if there's like a second wave of new guys, I think it'll solidify a rock coming in. It's a decade. We're talking about a decade. Mm-hmm. Guys go from 70 to being 80 guys go from being 80 to being 90. Okay. How about we get a guy who's 30 going on 40? Like maybe that is a good idea. Uh-huh. I don't know. I like it, but of course, enjoy the hall of fame announcement. Also enjoy our interview with Marlon Willis. We really appreciate uh, his agent, Jason Hoffman, who hopped on the podcast a week ago, setting us up with that interview. We look forward to having more of Jason's clients on in the future. But for Dylan Campione, Nico Fernandez, and Henry Kalani, enjoy tomorrow. And we'll be back on Wednesday with the final results of this Hall of Fame announcement. So for the boys, the side is retired.